Welcome to the first Intuition Podcast. On this episode, Dave and I talk about motivation and look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We recorded the session in front of a live Zoom audience, and if you'd like to join a future show, you can register for them. The link is in the show notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the first Intuition Podcast and Live Student Forum. My name is Ben Bullman, and I'm joined again this evening. And welcome back after our, our little half-term break, David Malthouse. Good evening, Dave. Good evening, Ben. How have you been this week? Um, fantastic. I've, I've, a couple of things. I always think before we, we come on live, what am I going to share with Dave that's happened to me over the last week? And actually, it's more than a week because we had a week off last week. Um, I think there were, were three things I wanted to mention. One, I had a fantastic couple of nights away in the camper van. Regular listeners will know that my family have got a, a camper van. We had a, a couple of nights away up on the Suffolk coast, which was fantastic. And one morning particularly, I woke up really early, really chipper. It was a bright, sunny morning. I sneaked out of the van, didn't wake any of the family up. And I just sat having a, a cup of tea on a, a deck chair, looking out over the, the sea and thought, this is perfect. I managed to open my laptop. I marked a couple of business strategy scripts while I was there, emailed back some students and got all of that done before any of the family had woken up. And something I've really come to appreciate over the last couple of weeks, how glorious the mornings are. I was never a morning person when I was younger, but I think I've now been fully converted to making the most of the lovely sunlight we get, the bright time and getting up a bit earlier. So that was one. The second one, I've started running again, Dave. Hey. Listeners will know that I injured my ankle last year. I've been very apprehensive, but I've so far been out. Slow starts, everybody. But I managed to do a, a five mile run and a three mile run and I've got a bit of confidence back. So fingers crossed I'll get out again tomorrow. And then the third thing was I've never really been too big into gardening, but we've started growing some fruit and veg at home. And we've got our first red ripe strawberries this evening. Quickly, I had a quick wander into the, the back garden patio before we came on air. and We've got some strawberries. Have you done much gardening over the years, Dave? I, I'm a big fan of growing chilies. So in our house, every year I grow chilies. And this is the first year that I've successfully managed to get some chili plants through the winter. Um, we've got the, the, the much known Carolina Reaper chili plants in our house, which is the hottest recorded chili. And um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I just love growing them, love seeing them grow, looking after them. And then well, I would say eating the fruits from those particular plants, but the Carolina Reaper chilies don't get eaten that much because they are ridiculously hot. So how was your week off? Wasn't too much of a week off. I was I was working for three days, as I think most of the country were, but I did have the, the four-day weekend, which was lovely. I spent the Friday of the Jubilee weekend not on a street party, but I actually went to Creamfields, which for those of you not in the UK is a, a dance music festival. And I went to Creamfields. It was held for the first time in Chelmsford. So it was literally five miles down the road from me. I had a great time seeing my, my wife's favourite artist, David Guetta, who flew in, played a 90-minute set. And then I think about four hours later was DJing in Ibiza. So quite how the logistics work there, I don't know. But I'm just you know, imagining the amount of money that he earned as he chased from one end of Europe to the other end to DJ in two separate places in the same night. 
Wow. But what, what was the, the age of the crowd like at Creamfields? Were they all older people that remember the original Cream nightclub and the, the CDs that I used to have when I was a teenager? It was a lot younger than I thought it would be. I thought there would be a, a lot more casualties from the late 90s that were there, but there were lots and lots of young people. And my wife and I had our eyes opened by the, by the outfits that some of the, the party goers were wearing, shall we say. Fantastic. You'll have to tell me more. We're, we're having lunch on Friday, aren't we, to, to talk about future podcast episodes. So I'll, I'll expect to, to hear more about your exploits at Creamfields and, and David Guetta. But with your running, Ben, we have a 10k race that runs past our front door here in where, where I'm living in about a month's time. I'm going to be running it. Some of the people that you know from the office in Chelmsford are going to be running it. When it's finished, we're going to be having a big barbecue here. And then when the barbecue's finished, we're going to the park over the road with the kids and we're going to be playing some rounders in the afternoon. So you are hereby invited, Ben, to aim for that 10k race. Bring the family down. You'd all be welcome. And we definitely need a bit more batting power in the in the rounders lineup. The last time I ran a 10K, Dave, was with your kind invite before. So it might very well be the motivation I need. So we can also talk about that on Friday. We need to talk about the subject matter for this evening, though, don't we? So um, when, when we were thinking of ideas, I thought, actually, we're now into June, coming up to halfway through the year. The kind of time where people maybe start reflecting back on the plans they made at the start of the year. Maybe they haven't quite gone according to plan. Maybe people are lacking a bit of motivation. They need a bit of inspiration or a bit of a, a reflection on why maybe things are not going as, as they planned. So I thought we would talk a bit about motivation. And from the perspective of having taught management and people management skills in the classroom and also studying it myself when I was a student back in the day, one of the models that jumped out at me was Maslow's hierarchy of needs, something that I'm sure, Dave, you've taught many times before. I can vividly remember seeing it in textbooks when I was a student and I've taught it. Hopefully the, the people listening will have come across it. If not, we're, we're going to talk you through it a bit. But what, what, what's your first reflection on, on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Dave? How would you approach that in, in a classroom? I know that when we teach subjects around motivation, we're always teaching them from the perspective of you're a finance manager, a finance leader, and how can we help to manage and motivate our staff and our teams? So it always comes down to the, it, you've got people working in a factory, how are we gonna motivate them to work harder? And there's about 20 different models around motivation and the focus of exam questions is always how do we motivate these groups of people they're not motivated at the moment how can we get them to be more motivated to be more productive and what we don't do is we don't reflect on ourselves and say well how does this theory actually work and how can I apply it to myself and for me it's only been after I qualified that I looked at some of these models and reflected back on me but Maslow I, I it, it is one of the those key theories and one of the things I remember when I first saw it is when you're flicking through your notes and looking at what's coming, Maslow's the big triangle. It's the big hierarchy triangle. It's like a big pyramid that sits in the middle of a page and instantly you see it. And the fact that it is this pyramid and this big triangle, you know, 
always to me it makes me think with triangles you've got a tip and you've got things working down you've got a base at the bottom and it's exactly like that as a theory you've got this this base at the bottom of the things we need to fulfill before we can even look at anything further so i, I always liked it as it, the model really fits the way that it operates but um, when i'm teaching it then I, I always talk about maslow's hierarchy of needs it's it's like you've landed on a desert island and you've been washed up on the shore and you're motivated to do certain things first. So the first thing you're motivated to do, if I was washed up on a desert island, I'm looking for shelter, I'm looking for food, I'm looking for fresh water. You know, I'm probably looking for them in the opposite order. I'm probably looking for fresh water first. I'm probably looking for food second or something to eat. And then I'm looking for shelter. And only once those things are secure, am I looking at anything beyond that? And I think of that program shipwrecked then where you've got this group of strangers that are shipwrecked on an island. The first few episodes, the first episode's all about let's find water, let's find food, let's build some kind of shelter that's going to stop us being rained on all the way through the night when the thunderstorms come in. And then beyond that, they start to build a community and they start to look at other things in terms of building a home and something that's got walls and something they're more proud of and somewhere that they can sit. And towards the end, when they fulfilled all of those base needs, they're then looking at the relationships that they have and they're looking at playing games and they're looking at leisure time because they've satisfied all of those basic needs so I, I, I always introduce it with that idea of you're washed up on a desert island what are you motivated to do first what drives you to do something and when you fulfill that what do you do next how about you Ben how do you talk about it um similar visualize the pyramid and it usually jumps out as you, as you say in the in the course notes one of the big things I always stress to students when they're looking at the application of the model is you need to start from the bottom. And until you fix the bottom rung, you can't consider anything in the next rung up and then fix those and then move through. So similar reflection there. Um, I don't talk about desert islands, but I, I, I like that analogy and thinking we'd have to fix those first before we then worry about anything moving on. I really liked your your thought around we tend to use it in exams and we tend to learn it for an exam module and then don't take the advantage of it to apply it to our own lives. Why do we get people to use models and theories in exams? I always think they are great for generating ideas, aren't they? They're a great way that you can take a scenario in an exam paper and you can break it down and come up with a range of points because you can use the model to look at it from different angles, different perspectives to generate a range of thoughts. And actually, that's a very powerful thing to do for yourself. If, if you're struggling with motivation, I don't think initially you can point your finger at it without actually going through the process of breaking it down and thinking about the, the lots of different aspects more so than ever, people's lives are very complicated. They are complex. There are lots of aspects to it. And this might be a way that you can break things down to try and identify some potential problems or things that aren't working. So that's really what I wanted to do tonight. We're going to talk through the model, but hopefully we can give you some thoughts that maybe you can then take away and think, are there areas in my life in those places that I need to kind of work on? I need to go away and have a think about because until they are fixed, you might not be able to move forward motivated to, to study. Excellent, Ben. So if we, we look at the model, we've got this big, big triangle 
And as you said, we've got to make sure that we satisfy the needs at the bottom before we can move up. So what are the things that we have at the bottom of this triangle? So if, if you imagine our first base of the, the pyramid, in there we've got our physical needs. And if you imagine a pyramid, it's clearly much wider at the bottom, placing the importance of the range of them and the significance of them. We build it from the base up, remember. So within those physical needs box, think about your, your own physical needs, the need to eat, the need to drink, the need to be warm or at the right temperature, not too hot, not too cold, the need to sleep. And if you think about those, clearly they are things that are motivating people to survive, aren't they? Going back to the desert island, they're the things that are going to keep us alive. Now, I don't want to bring study into a life and death situation, but if you think about why you maybe are not motivated to study tonight, it might be because you're hungry and you're going to go and have your dinner first before you get your books out or you log into your online lectures. If you're too hot or too cold, you're going to be distracted and that's not the best environment to study in. We've done previous episodes of the podcast on the importance of sleep. And if you are too tired, then actually you're not going to be motivated to study. You're not going to have the energy. You're not going to have the alertness to do it. From a study perspective, I'd probably also put physical access to material and resources. You need access to books or texts or online study material. Without those physical things, you are not going to be motivated to study. So you need to go away and fix those first. Before you can do a study session, make sure you've had something to eat. You've got a drink on the table. You're not too tired. The temperature's right. How, how would you align those to a, a study context, do you think, Dave? I, I agree. And if we think that the motivation to study... We've got, you know, we've got to want to study. We've got to actually go out and, and do that studying. And if we think about this idea that we've got these base, basic physical needs at the base of the pyramid, if you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you're not going to do any study. No one's going to do any study if you don't know where your next meal is coming from. If you haven't got running water in your house, I think you can be forgiven for not wanting to study. So it, it's, it, it, you're absolutely right. That base, that needs to be satisfied first. And I think that the moment that you've got no food in the house, you've got no food in the fridge, you don't know where your next meal is coming from, all motivation to do anything else it is going out the window because you need to fulfill those needs first. And that, that's how I always think about it. It's, it's actually quite a simple theory that you've got to satisfy those base needs first. And you can't shout at someone for not studying if, they're starving, hungry, haven't had a drink and haven't slept. So, yeah, I, I always like that. You know, lay the base down first, get that done first. And then what's the next thing after that? So after those physical needs, what's next then? So the next rung up the, the pyramid is safety needs. Maslow talked about a range of safety needs. And this is where I think initially you're drawn to your own physical safety, your own personal safety and well-being. And yet clearly that's very, very important. If you feel threatened, if you're in a situation that you fear for your own safety, clearly you're not going to be motivated to study. You're going to be worried about the, the reasons and the need to escape whatever physical threats there are. But I actually think then when you dwell on those safety needs, they become more complex than just your own physical protection. 
You can think about your safety at work. If you are not in a secure job, if you are feeling the threat of redundancy, that clearly adds stress and is going to be distracting you from motivating to study. I can forgive anyone studying if they are worried about their job. They're going to be spending more time looking for a, a, another role. Um, you can also think there with regards to um, your health. A safety need is, is your own health. So if you've got an underlying health concern, that actually is going to be prioritised in your brain and therefore you won't have the motivation to study. I think you can broaden that wider than that and think about your family safety. If you're, you're worried about a loved one because they're ill, they're poorly, actually that's going to be a reason why study now is dropping down your list of priorities and the motivation won't be there. Um, final one, and this one is really, really topical in the current economic climate, is the, the money worries that people have. If you are, are worried about financial pressures in your own life, that's going to be a distraction and a reason why you've probably lost some of the motivation to study. And that's a really interesting one. Um, we can think about that from, from two time horizons. Some people would say, actually, financial security in my future career is a motivating factor to study. They're looking long term and thinking, if I can pass my exams and gain my qualification, hopefully that's going to increase my career and my earning potential. But in the short term, that doesn't cut it, does it? If you're, you're really struggling for money today, the fact that you might get a pay rise in two years time when you've passed all your exams is not going to help pay your rent, pay your gas and electricity bill today. So it might be you have to spend more time working to earn more money, which clearly then distracts from your, your study. So those broad safety needs, those kind of personal safety and, and well-being factors for number two. Yeah, the way we talk about this we're in, in our studies tends to be around members of staff, isn't it? And we, we talk about why would a member of staff maybe be suffering from a lack of motivation? And generally that yeah, food, water, warmth, those kind of things are, are not really issues that are probably going to impact people in the workforce. But when you talk about security and job security, especially if your job's under threat or you're concerned about whether you're going to have a job next week, are you going to be motivated to do your absolute best at work? Now you're going to have half an eye on the door wondering, how am I, you know, am I going to get paid next month? Is there going to be a job for me here? So I completely see how those safety needs are really going to have an impact on one motivation at work and anything that happens at work always seems to transfer to the way that we actually deal with our studies if you're worried about your job security when you go home every night you're going to be looking online at job vacancies you're going to be talking to agents you might be going to interviews you're not going to be motivated to sit down and study because you're going to really want to fulfill that safety need and get that job security and likewise, as you talked about your physical health and things like that, if I've got an illness and I need medical treatment for it, my focus is on getting well. It's not on trying to move up the career ladder. It's not on passing the next exam. It's making sure I'm well. And when I'm happy that I'm well or I'm looking after myself, that's when maybe I can look at other things. So safety needs, completely get those. So now we're at a situation where we've got basic food and, uh, and, and warmth and water. We, we've got the security around us. We're happy that we're safe. 
and our jobs safe and our position safe, what's the next rung on that ladder? What's the next thing we'd look to achieve once we got those first two rungs up the pyramid? So our next need on the Maslow's pyramid triangle is social need. That the social need that we have to interact with other people, to build relationships, our family, our friends. Dave, I know it's something you've talked about a lot on previous episodes of the podcast of how it is a sacrifice study and you might miss um, time with your friends. You might miss social occasions. And clearly, if you're you're going to those, you need to fulfill those social needs. That's not conducive to motivating you to study. And, and I know a couple of times you've talked about if you've got a big family wedding coming up, don't be surprised that you're not going to do as much study as you would have ideally liked to, because that's going to be taking over. So social, the, the belonging, the companionship, that the interaction with with other people. What I find quite interesting is, though, if you flip that round, some people actually use study as a way they build social connections. Coming to the forum tonight is social. People join to share with each other, to join in. We, we, we've had a chat with, with some of the, the forum listeners before we, we recorded the session this evening. Um, if you're studying in a classroom, coming to the classroom environment builds social networks. You build actually a bit of a social network with your, your tutor team. So if you've got a, an online tutor, you can build some kind of social interaction there. My eldest daughter, Layla, has been um, revising this week for some exams at school and she needed to do some revision, clearly struggling to be motivated. So I've committed uh, an hour every evening so far this week to, to sit with her and we've done some social revision, making it social. We've talked it through. I've written a few quizzes. I've said, give me a textbook and I'll kind of test you on some things. And so actually, if you can turn study into a way that you are fulfilling social needs as well, that can actually be a real positive power of motivation. Speak to your family about it. If you, you live with people, they'll be aware that you're studying, but you can kind of say to them, is there any way we can make the study part of our social routine? But, but clearly, if you're turning your back on your friends and your family, at some point that's going to backfire and you will come crashing down because the motivation to study will not be um, fulfilled in the, the, the gap that you've got in your, your social life. So this, this is where I think it's quite difficult for us, for us when it comes to studying because we recognise that studying is something that requires you to do bits of it alone because only you can do the work. Other people can't do the work for you. And, and there's always kind of that little bit of a payoff between you know, doing your study and having your social life and spending time with your friends and spending time with family. And I do think there's a real a balance that we need to strike there, because for some of our qualifications, you're looking at three years to, to complete them from start to finish, whether that's AAT, whether it's SEMA, ICW, ACCA. If you're doing more than one, you could be looking at a six-year programme in total and six years of isolation and working on your own with no contact with another human being, you are not going to be able to keep up. You know, Unless you 
hate all people and in which case you probably can but for most of us we need some kind of social interaction we can't just be isolated that whole time so there's a real balance there of making sure that we're fulfilling the needs that we have and we actually engage and have those relationships with the people that, that we need to have those relationships with but also allowing us the time to do the study and if you borrow too much from that social aspect then I just think you'll you'll burn out and you won't be able to study long term. So it's a real balance that you need to strike there. Yeah, that that one is a real tough one, isn't it? The the, mm. the social sacrifice that people make. Yeah. And as you say, if, if you can get the balance right, I think it works on both levels. But clearly, if that's not there, you're not going to be able to regress up to the next stage, which is really now where we're getting much more motivation to study. Hopefully, if you can fulfill the physical, the safety and the social needs, you're now ready to really kickstart yourself into level four and level five, which I think are the most powerful areas of motivation to study. So if we're working up our pyramid, once we've covered physical, safety, social, we now come to the esteem needs. And I actually think study and sitting exams and succeeding in them can really fulfill some esteem. Um, I hope students are proud to say they are studying. I would take great pride in saying I am studying for the AAT or SEMA or ACCA or ICAW qualification. Um, I hope students gain confidence from that esteem, the fact they feel part of something that is valued that is a profession that is worthwhile. If you are doing it with the support of your employer, I hope they give you recognition. There is a level of esteem if you get praise from somebody. Getting feedback from your tutor is a way of um, giving um, those esteem needs a, a pat on the back, really. We, we, we were having a chat before we came on air tonight about the AAT grading system and whether you pass or get a distinction or get a merit. If you, you take pride in the, the scores that you get in your mock exams, the scores that you get in your real exams, all of those are ways that you can hopefully harness some motivation to continue and study. I think, Dave, you've often talked about remembering feelings and using those to kind of spur you on again. Absolutely. And this is exactly where exam motivation sits. I, I think it's at this point in the hierarchy. So you can really use that feeling of achievement to help to motivate you. So that feeling of achievement when you pass an exam, and I, I know most of us at some point in our lives have passed an exam and we know how good it feels to pass that exam, whether it was a GCSE we passed, whether it was an A-level, whether it was our cycling test, whether it was a swimming certificate, whatever it is, we've all succeeded at some kind of test and we all know how good that feels. And that can really help to motivate you. But it sits at this layer on the hierarchy because you're not going to be motivated to achieve those esteem things. You're not going to be achieve, motivated by achievement if you're starving, hungry and you've got no water and you, and you haven't got a house to live in. None of those things. It's not going to be, oh, I haven't got a house. I haven't got any food. I haven't got any drink, but I'm really going to go through it with my studying tonight. That's not going to motivate. It's not going to drive you forward. So it sits there. Once those other things, those relationship needs, those safety needs, those physical needs have been have all been filled. That's when we can start looking at our exams. So, uh, as you said uh, earlier, Ben, no one's going to study you know, if 
that they're, they're worried about their job or their job security or their health and things like that. So I, I think absolutely right. This is really the, the key part for me for us studying is have we fulfilled all the needs underneath? Because that means that we can aim for those esteem needs by achieving. But there is a higher level, isn't there, Ben? There is. So, so the top of the tree, the top of the pyramid is what Maslow called self-actualization, if I could say the term. Um, this is really when you hit that sweet spot moment, that moment where you just feel you are on top of the world, you are achieving, you're challenging yourself, you're wanting to study, you're really enjoying the study sessions, you're enjoying the challenge and you are really getting personal benefit from it. Now, that's a fantastic place to be. As a student, I appreciate not everybody is there and certainly not everybody is there all of the time. But if you can fix the bottom layers of that pyramid, that's driving you up. And at that point, you're really enjoying the study. It doesn't feel like a chore when you're getting your books out. You're relishing the challenge. You want to put a study planner together. You want to develop the ideas that you are actually doing something that is really worthwhile for yourself that that self-actualization fantastic place to be Dave I'm sure you've been there in parts of uh, moments of your life not always like all of us but um that's what we're striving for absolutely it's what we're striving for and I think that at any point in time something will chip away at one of those lower levels so it's, I guess a little bit like if it was an actual pyramid and someone started hammering away and taking lumps out of your pyramids, well, you're not focusing on standing at the top and looking at the amazing view anymore. You're actually scaling down the pyramid to fix the hole that's been created. So whether that hole is because your job's now at risk and you need to fix that, whether it's something in your in your personal life where there are maybe conflicts with family or conflicts with some of your friends or you know maybe one of your friends has moved away and it's upset your friendship circle or something like that and you need to scale down that pyramid to to work on that particular area of your life at that point in time but yeah you're absolutely right when you've got those rare moments when you're standing at the top of the pyramid everything underneath it is being fulfilled that's the point when we can look at you know becoming whole as a person and I think that I know Maslow talks about it's not just fulfilling your professional needs it's all about your personal needs it's all about what you're giving back to society and I think he talks about creative endeavors and things like that as well so I, I always like that as a vision of I want to be standing on top of that pyramid looking out across the land uh, and enjoying my time up there but you can only do that if you're standing on a solid base that's been well built all the way up the pyramids and and that's where when you get to the top there and you, you've achieved you've succeeded you've been motivated you kind of still want to strive for things beyond that's where mm -hmm. you, you do start wanting to give back that's where you might start mentoring somebody else um, Dave, I think you would acknowledge and, and me definitely. That was probably the reason I went into teaching because I wanted to kind of get back to the top there. And once I passed all of the exams, it was, well, now I can go and help other people, hopefully, to succeed, to learn, to pass exams. So it, it's something that I think you need an awareness of. It's lovely when you are at the top. But as Dave said, you need to keep your eyes looking down sometimes to think, is there something that's going to undermine my pyramid? and potentially bring it crashing down. And I think from that, that thing that, that those can be external events, 
um, a, a change of something at work, maybe a change of personal circumstances. We talked about health issue, something like that comes out of the blue, then actually that will take your attention. And I think at that point, you need to just give yourself a bit of a, a bit of a break and say, it's okay. I'm clearly not going to be as motivated to study for the next week, the next month, because I need to go and plug that problem first. And that is definitely the right thing to do. If students try and keep up the same level of study, at some point they are going to clearly drop off and have a much bigger problem. So it's having that self-awareness and doing something like your own personal Maslow is, is a really nice tool putting all those things down and just kind of scoring them or ticking them off and saying that one's covered, that one's covered. That's the way you can hopefully start making sure that the foundations at the bottom are strong and you're now definitely moving in the right direction up the, the pyramid. Absolutely. I, I like the idea of, of all of our listeners drawing up their own pyramids and mapping the, the, how well built each of the different layers are after we go out tonight. It's almost something I could see you doing before start of the week. You've got your study planner. We've talked lots about study planners um, in previous episodes. At the start of the week, before you go and complete your week of study, and maybe you've got three study sessions planned, just draw up your little Maslow's hierarchy and think, right, have I got enough food in the house? Or am I going to be worried about that? Have I made sure that the, the study conditions I've got are right? Have I actually made sure that my, my job position is safe, secure? I've, I've not got any money worries. Have I, have I phoned my brother, my sister, my mum, my dad? And let, let's fulfil some of that social stuff so it's not there in the background distracting you as you go through. And, and that might be a nice way to approach it on a, a weekly or a monthly basis. Just reassess your Maslow. Um, if sound like we're, we're Blue Peter presenters now, but if you've drawn them out, say, send a copy to us, scan them in and email them over and we'll take a look. Absolutely, Ben. And I think in, in future, future, I would say, let's say future months rather than future weeks, because I think we've got a pretty, pretty hectic few weeks planned in terms of topics for the, for the podcast. But I, I would like to visit some of those other theories around motivation, because this is a theory and it's a theory that I, I really like and I really enjoy, but there are other theories out there around motivation that I think could be you know, as powerful. So it'd be really nice to, to have maybe a Hertzberg week, one week, Ben, that would be a personal favourite of mine. Um, because so often we learn these things for an exam and think they only apply in exam land where you're asked a question about a group of people that you've got to work with. Whereas you can quite easily bring them home and actually see how they apply for you personally. And I think that makes them even more powerful if we can do that. Brilliant. Well, we are up against the time again this evening. It's nearly seven o'clock as we're recording this. The sun's still shining out of my window. So the, the, the live students with us, you've got chance to go and still see a bit of the sunshine outside this evening. Um, thank you all for joining us. Thank you for listening. If you've downloaded and listened to the podcast, Dave, I will hand over to you to do the final wrap up for this evening's session. Thank you very much, Ben. It is sunny here as well in, in Essex. 
I am about to go out and play some hockey. So I'm looking forward to an evening of hockey now. But for everyone that is listening um, on the podcast, thank you so much for downloading. If you could leave a review, if you could uh, leave some comments on whatever podcast service you use, it will be much, much appreciated. If you can also share this podcast with anyone that you know, we're really keen to get other students there listening to, to the topics that we're talking about. And if there is a particular topic that you want us to cover, please contact Ben or I, and we'll be more than happy to, to run a podcast episode on pretty much any subject out there, um, as long as it's got some kind of vague link to studying or to finance. But until next week, thank you very much for downloading and stay safe. We'll see you soon.